You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. All right, good morning. How are y'all? Everybody good? All right, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I got to say, pretty good for a first try here this morning. Pretty good. Uh, Hey, I got to say, shout out to y'all. Right for uh, the few, the proud, uh, the faithful on a three-day weekend—that's big, y'all. I gotta give yourself a round of applause right now. All right, I'm just letting you. Come on, y'all can do better than that for yourself. You gotta be proud of yourself. All right, no, but in all seriousness, right? Shout out to everybody that will watch this later. We love you. I'm not saying anything about you, but I just know as a church leader, right? You look on the calendar. And you see a three-day weekend, and you're like, all right, going to be a light day that day, right? It's instantaneously. You just know it. I've been working at churches for like six to seven years, right? The moment we all saw it, everybody was like, all right, no, let's, let's, let's plan accordingly that day. And so shout out to you. But hey, for those uh, of you here, but also, you know, joining online, listening later, my name is Josh. I serve as a lead pastor here at Refuge. What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be continuing our time in worship by engaging in the scriptures. And I say this most weeks, I'm going to say it most weeks to come, right? That this isn't just a time where we come together to learn more about who God is. I hope that we learn something about who God is today, but that's really not what we're coming here to do. Rather, as we read these words, we believe that God is alive in them, that he has breathed them out through the authors of Scripture. And as a consequence, uh, he meets us here when we open them and read them together, right? When we read them together, he actually meets us in these words, and he doesn't just teach us something about himself, but through the Spirit at work in your heart and in your life and in these words and in my heart and in my life, He meets us here in order to shape and to form and to do something in our lives, right, that could last through eternity, just in this intimate space in Houston Elementary on a Sunday in 2022. And so I say that to say, don't lean back during this time. Don't be like, all right, it's time to to hang back. I'm going to hear this dude talk for a while, and then we're going to get out of here. No, no, like press in during the next few minutes as we're talking, right? Engage, be expectant, asking the Lord, what do you want to do in my life as we start uh, these conversations and as we peer into these words, okay? And so today, as we do this, what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue our series in Ecclesiastes called Pursuit of the Wind. And so, yeah, there we go, right? And we're gonna be working through the book of Ecclesiastes for several weeks. Uh, And if you're anything like me, right, this is a book that uh, if you grew up in church, bare minimum, maybe if you didn't too, uh, was always a bit ominous. What is it, ominous? It was a bit ominous, right? It was a bit creepy, a bit scary. It had this tone that was very cynical and this tone that was very uh, despairing. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard this, this word before, but very nihilistic, right? Like this idea everything's going to end and uh, there's nothing worth anything. And I, it had this like almost just depressing feel to it. And, and in church, like everybody never wants to say that we think like that, right? No one ever wants to be like, man, I'm sad. Like the moment in church when you're like, man, I'm I'm kind of depressed right now. Everybody's like, are you okay? And it's like, man, like, have you seen the world? Like, it's kind of some depressing stuff happening. Like, it's, it seems more normal than you would think that we would encounter brokenness in the world and start to feel a certain way. But yet in church, sometimes it can be a little bit tough to engage in that conversation. And so this always became a very scary book. Yet, it's in the Bible, right? We, the, the, the church fathers and the spirit, right, we, they all believe like, hey, this is, This is a book that was inspired by God. He gave it to us for a reason. And when we actually understand what's happening in Ecclesiastes, when we realize that 
that in Ecclesiastes, the author uh, invites us to wake up, right? Rather than just inviting us to despair, what he invites us in is to, what he invites us to is to wake up from the haze that we often find ourselves in, right? A, a haze that's seeking purpose and meaning in so many different ways and in so many different places, yet always seems to, to leave us back where we started looking for the same things and creates this sort of bitter cycle. He invites us to wake up from that haze and and, and to actually start to see, here's how the Lord actually desires to lead you, and here's what he wants for you, and, and here's what he doesn't want for you. It actually becomes a powerful, powerful group uh, of teachings that, that man, is, can be really impactful and powerful for our lives. And so last week, we started in chapter one, where we really got the thesis or introduction of the author's words. And if you hear me use the word Kohelet, that is the author. Right, so some people uh, believe that it was it was Solomon. Others believe it may have been a later kind of sage or wise person that just used Solomon's name in what we would describe as like royal wisdom literature. It's a whole type of writing from the day. Regardless of which one you believe, we know that the author Kohelet was the name of the author, and almost means like to gather or or to bring together in order to teach. That's why he's called the preacher or teacher through the book. Uh, his main thesis was this idea that everything is hevel. This this Hebrew word hevel that everything. Is, is kind of a pursuit of the wind, this idea that uh, everything under the sun, right, everything on earth that we give ourselves to uh, is like a, a vapor, right? It seems to have substance at first, but when you actually tend to grab it, you, you realize it doesn't have substance at all. Last week, we used the comparison, and it's like a cloud. I, first time I got on an airplane, I was a grown man. I was like 28, year old, 28 years old when I took my first plane ride. And I didn't have that joyous feeling that my kids had when we went up into the sky, and Leah saw the cloud, and she was like, oh my God, we're gonna die, right? Like, we're gonna crash into that cloud, and everything's gonna end, and then all of a sudden, you just pass through the cloud, and it's like, that. That wasn't at all what I thought was going to happen right now, right? Like, and, and the author, Kohelet, kind of wants us to, to see that that's his, his thesis, right? That, that what we see on earth that, that we think is going to give us meaning, what we give ourselves to, what we, what we love, it, it, it's like a vapor that when you grab it, tends to, tends to feel far less substantive than we thought it was going, um, going to be. And so he... he he fills that out as the introduction, kind of the introduction, of his thesis for the entire book. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, step into what I can only describe as Kohelet's tour of, of experiences, right? He's going to invite us along to take notes of some of what he's done, what he's experienced, and some of why he's come to this conclusion that he's laid out for us uh, in the intro. And, and the main point that I, I want us to end up seeing today is this, that even the highest highs can't give you what you most want. Even the highest highs can't give you what you most want. As we work through this chapter, we're going we're to look at this idea, uh, and we're going to build this idea, really, by, by kind of addressing three smaller ideas, three, three bite-sized ideas. And they're this, right? The first is what we hope the highs give us. I, I want us to take a look and think about what do we hope the highs give us. Second, we're going to take a look at why they can't give us that. All right, why can't they give us those things? We, we want them to give those. They seem like they should be able to give them to us. Why can't they? And then we're going to just take a, a, a short look at, hey, what now? Once we've worked through this, where do we go from here, right? Because uh, if, if you haven't guessed yet, by the time we get to the end of the second point, 
Uh, it's going to get a little weighty, but I promise it's going to take an upturn, right? Uh, and so let's go ahead and dive in here. We're going to start uh, by reading uh, 2, 1 through 3, and then we're going to go ahead and move forward from there. But we're going to start looking at this idea of what we hope the highs give us by starting with the first three verses of chapter 2. And they, they read like this. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. Uh, I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pool of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under the sun during the few days of their lives. Now, as we get started today, uh, the first high that Kohelet, again, our author, wants to invite us to take a tour of is the high of pleasure. He says, I will test myself with what? Oh, man. All right. We, we, hit a little, we hit a little road bump there. He says in verse 1, right, I said to myself, I will test myself with pleasure. That's right. So he, he wants us to kind of take a look at pleasure. And it's, and it's important to understand before we go further, though, that in this moment, Kohelet isn't quite like a drunk party, you know, uh, college kid, right? This isn't quite, quite him. He's, he's less drunk party kid, more wise scientist in the moment. He isn't blindly going out to party and, and just overindulge seeking right fun, but he doesn't actually understand that there's more to life that he's trying to fill in the midst of that pursuit. He's actually the scientist that's intently trying to find meaning in life and seeing if he can get some of it from pursuing pleasure. And so that's the wisdom that he's using going into this experiment, going into this testing. That's why he says, man, I, I, I've invested in trying to figure out the pull that wine had on my body while my mind was still guiding me with wisdom, right? So he's intently going into this like a scientist. But the thing is, even as a scientist, he doesn't hold back. Like any good scientist, right? Any, any sage, he tries to figure out exactly the full gamut, the full experience. He doesn't hold himself back from anything. In fact, in verse 10, he says, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. And the thing is, when we look at the words of Kohelet, we have to realize that this is a man that, that did the research for us so that we might not have to, if that makes sense, right? He, he indulged not just in, in the, what we describe as as things to enjoy, but in dark pleasures, speaking of overindulgence in wine, again, in drink, he indulges in every way we can imagine, the indulgences of friendship. He spends all his time with, with the homies, having fun, laughing, spending good times. In verse 8, though, we also see that he indulges in art and entertainment. He says, I had male and female singers, right? Crazy amounts of, of entertainment for myself, right? The, the ancient version of he had every streaming service, right? This type of thing. There wasn't a show that was off limits to him because he he paid $8 a month for all of them, okay? So he also describes, though, indulgences sexually, where he says, hey, I amass concubines. And he says these are the, he describes them as the delights of men. He seeks pleasure everywhere. And so he takes us first on this, this, this mountaintop of pleasure. But then he dives in uh, to another high. He sends us on the high of achievement. Starting in verse 4, he says, I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. 
I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. This almost idea of like generational wealth type of idea to be communicated there. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and, and treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and, and the concubines as mentioned earlier. And, and what was the result? Look at verse 9. And so that means kind of like, and as a result, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. In short, right, Kohelet increases his achievements by amassing the finest things in life. He acquires our modern equivalents of money, art, uh, real estate, social life, romantic attention, all the things that we really like try to try to capture and and take and, and hold as, as modern people, it's funny that they went any different in the ancient world, right? Kohelet looks and says, I got all that. I amassed it more than any who had been in the seat of Jerusalem before me. You name it, I had it. So he arrives at the mountaintop of pleasure and he arrives at the mountaintop of achievement. And the question now that I have for you is what do you expect him to get from it? Now, what does he get from it? We'll get to that later. We're gonna answer that question, but in a minute. But, but I want you to listen intently to my question. What do you expect him to get from it? What do you expect him to get from it? Because if I, if I surveyed every person in this room, every person watching online, every person that's gonna listen to the podcast later, and if we were honest, most of us would all say that, yeah, that, that to be honest, at some point in my life, maybe even now, that sounds enticing. That sounds good because in my mind, I've already built up a world in which these things, when I attain them, they give me something. They provide me something. They, they, they give me what I'm hoping for. They, 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 I have hopes associated with these highs that will, will feed and, and offer me something that I'm lacking. Maybe for you, it's, it's a distraction. Maybe you think to yourself, if I had this mountaintop of pleasure or achievement, I'd have so much to entertain myself with, so much to, to enjoy, so much uh, uh, to, to pride myself on, that it would be so much that I'd have to forget everything else. I could get away from painful memories. I could get away from fractured relationships. I could get away from frustrating lifestyles and cycles that I find myself in. I could get away from feelings of loneliness that tend to sneak up into my life when I least expect them and when it, when it feels the least convenient. I could just leave it all behind if I had one of those highs. Maybe for you it's satisfaction, right? The, the, this, we touched on this last week a little bit, that you feel this sense of emptiness. You feel like your life maybe doesn't have meaning or doesn't have this certain type of purpose that you wish you had. And, and so you want to feel something. And maybe these highs, maybe pleasure, maybe achievement would give you that, that sense of who you are and who you're supposed to be. Maybe for you, it's contribution. Maybe you look at life and think, I want to leave the world in the hands of my kids or others' kids or their kids in a better way uh, than I have it at this stage of my life. I want to contribute to something great and meaningful. I want to make that kind of contribution to the world. Or maybe, right, maybe for you, it's recognition, Right, that feeling of being respected, that feeling that you've arrived and that there are people uh, that may have in the past looked down on you, but now those people that looked down on you before, you've showed them that you've got to the mountaintop, right? And that they can't say anything to you. Maybe they didn't think much of you then, but man, they got to think much of you now because why? You're at the, high, you're at the height of the mountain. Nothing they can do, 
nothing they can do to stop you. Now, if I'm being honest with you, right, I, I would love for you to think about those. There's a ton more, right, than just that. That's just four basic examples. But, but if I was going to look at this set uh, of, of this, this mini set, right, of, of things here, I would probably say that last one, um, that last one, recognition, is the one that I, I struggle with the most on a personal level. Right, this feeling that uh, I grew up like the, the poor Mexican-American boy and that no one kind of respected me as I got out into the field. And it, sometimes it feels, if I'm being honest, like, like culture has kind of passed me over and there's this dichotomy of white and black and there's not really anything in the middle to really find like a good secure identity in. And so when I go into environments, even with other pastors, there's like this celebration of the historic group that has been largely like white pastors that are like 60 years old and then the new group that's coming and they're all excited about all these young men and, and there's like white men and black men, but there's not really any anywhere else that I find this sense of identity. And so if I'm being honest, right, I've, I've had these moments where I just strive for this type of recognition. I think to myself, like, hey, if you don't give me a space, I want to go make a space for myself. I want to, I want to have a, a better house. I want to decorate and fill my house with nice furniture. I want to preach a good sermon. I want to go and get a good education. I, I hope that our church grows. And all of a sudden, I feel like this subtle sense of I want this recognition. And I start looking at every little thing in my life and saying, how can I get this recognition from that? I remember, um, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. Right, but uh, I remember one time, this is maybe uh, two years ago, maybe we were. I was exposing my kids to Aladdin for the first time, and uh, any, is is Aladdin anybody's like top three Disney movies? Yes, let's go, my people. All right, so I, I was exposing them to Aladdin for the first time. And there's that song, you know, at the beginning of Aladdin, where it's like street rap. You know, that type of thing. And, and then it gets up and finally Aladdin's at the top of the little tower. And he's like, you know, there's so much more to me, right? Like that whole section right there. And I'll never forget that my dad, uh, out of nowhere, I was looking at it and I was having all these feelings, right? I was, in my, I was in my emotions at that point. And my dad looked over at me and he was like, do you ever relate to that? And uh, I don't know why I, I just went, no, I, I don't really think like and I just said, nah, and I brushed it off. But inside, even as we were watching it, I was looking at it thinking like, man, there is. I was relating to it in such a deep and powerful way, right? It's, for me, it's why something like Hamilton the Musical like hits real at home for me, right? Like this immigrant roots changing America. And I'm like, yes, I want that, right? Give me the CD and the DVD, and I'm going to subscribe to Disney Plus just to watch it. And so all of a sudden, you find yourself, if you're anything like me, catching on to one of these, one of these kind of like what you want out of the mountaintops and, and what you're hoping you get, and then you start trying to go and pull it from every place that you can. So I want, as, as I said, I want the bigger house. I want a nice piece of furniture. I, I'd be looking at my wife's van sometimes and thinking like, ah, well, the van's not nice enough. Like, we should get a better van. Why? Because I'm striving for recognition that, that I think will make something better. We all do this. We all do this with one high or the other, one hope or another, right? We build a world where these things powerfully remake our lives, they remake our hearts, they remake our world, they give us a complete makeover and put us right there where we wish and want to be. And, we're, we're, and because of that, we're always looking at those mountaintops thinking, if I could just get there, if I could just get there, it'll all be okay. And hear me, friend, I wish I could tell you, yeah, that's coming. Just, just keep going, right? Bootstraps, all that good stuff. 
Uh, but I can't. In fact, I'm, I'm not going to tell you uh, that that's not, that's not what it is. Kohelet actually is going to tell you that that's not how it is. He is going to answer the question, why can't they give us that, right? So if we said the first thing is what we hope the highs give us, the second question we're going to answer is why can't they give us that? Look at verse 11, and then we're going to jump to verse 18. So just 11, and then we're going to jump to 18. And verse 11, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing uh, to be gained under the sun. Now down to verse 18, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I meant I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief. And his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. Man, all right, what are we going to do with these words? Let's, let's break them down for a second. Before you read them and go like, this is a whack Sunday, Let, let's break them down for a minute, right? What, what does Kohelet see at the end of his research? That, that's what we want to ask, right? Because we want get, get, to get down to what is Kohelet trying to figure out here. Again, this is not the drunken party boy. This is the wise scientist. And we want to see what is the wise scientist after at the end of it, he realizes, again, to reiterate that it's all hevel, it's all vapor, it's all pursuit of the wind, it all seems like it's going to have substance, but it doesn't. And the, the thing is, he starts to break down exactly why by, by really answering some of those deeds. Right? It can't give you a distraction. Why? Because when you get to the end, everything in your life that you try to leave behind is still there. Right In verse 3, he says that he's testing his body, but that his mind still guides him with wisdom. The mind does not get turned off because we pursue pleasures. It doesn't get turned off because we achieve achievements, right? It, it's still at work. It remembers the moments of heartache. Those realities still visit you. In, first, in verse 23, he says, even at night, the mind does not rest. It can't give you, the highs can't give you satisfaction because those don't last. When the work is over, it's gone, and maybe you had joy in doing it, but overall, those realities eventually, right, the, the fruit of your hand will see to exist. These things don't fill that hole of satisfaction. It can't bring contribution because who knows whether the person that's coming after you had, doesn't have wisdom is going to give themselves to the folly and everything you ever worked for is going to be gone like that. And it can't bring you recognition because as we mentioned last week in chapter one, the generation after doesn't remember the one before and the one after doesn't remember that one. And so whether you wanted recognition today or not, the reality is in a hundred years, no one will know who you are. No one will know who I am. And all your intellect and all of your greatness will be forgotten. Just like that. And so what now? Because right, Gohel is deconstructing all of our goods right now. He's bringing it all down and he's, he's making us a little sad, if I'm being honest. He's just going to walk in and burst our bubble and then, well, not quite. Right? I want you to take a look at verse 24 and 25. Starting in verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than to eat drink and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? What now is Kohelet trying to tell us? To eat and drink, 
and to enjoy what we do because this is from the hand of God. Why? Because who can eat and enjoy life apart from God? Who can eat and enjoy life apart from God? When God, and this is, I think, what, what the author here, what Kohelet's trying to frame for us, right, is that once we're finally in a spot where God starts to become a bit of the source of the things that we're striving for, the source of the things that we need, the source of the things that we begin to feel like we're lacking, in those moments, we're able to look at the highs of pleasure, the highs of achievement, the highs of any other mountain speak you want to, get to look at, and instantaneously, they begin to become depressured from the, the amount of expectation that we had placed on them in the first place. Right? We approach these mountains and say, man, the moment I get up that thing, the moment I taste the mountaintop, I am going to finally have the fulfillment, the peace, the distraction, the satisfaction, the recognition, the contribution that I want. And all of a sudden, these mountains, they, they, they quake, right? Because they weren't made by the enemy. They were made by God and, and mutated in our hands. And so they don't want you to come to them like that. Achievement work doesn't want you to come to it like that. Pleasure doesn't want you to come to it like that. They buckle under the pressure that we place under them, and they're as disappointed in their experience of that as we are in the experience that we have with them when we place that pressure on them. Right? Yet when we begin to, to separate ourselves from that expectation and we begin to approach God and, and with those same needs for recognition, I look at God and say, God, I, I feel slightly empty right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I'm unworthy. And he begins to say things like, man, out of the deep love that I have for you, I sing over you. Right? And, and I count the heads, I mean, the, the hair on your head. And, and, and I know you from, from top to bottom, the most, the deepest part of you. I know every word that's going to come out of your mouth, and I still love you deeply. And all of a sudden, that thing in me that's watching Aladdin and going, there's so much more to me. God's like, and the more to you that there is, I see, and I know, and I love you. Right? That, that idea of, of let's, let's just pick another one out of that group, right, of contribution. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I give myself to this labor and I, I build a future that's amazing, and meanwhile, he's saying, I'm making the world right again. Like, like I am, in fact, forming and shaping the world. The, the, the very scriptures that I give you say that everything is on its way back to me, and I'm redeeming and restoring and making all things new. When you partner with me in my work that I've given to you, all of a sudden you are contributing to the good work that I'm doing, and one day that work will be completed. Why? Because in Philippians, I promise that I will complete the work that I started. Right, satisfaction. I, I come to satisfaction and go, Father, I don't feel like there's purpose or meaning or, or, or anything really that I can gain from this world and, and this life that I'm living all the while. Christ is saying the leaves, right? The sky declares the beauty of who I am. The mountains themselves will cry out and worship me. Look at the ant and learn from the ant. Why? Because I put billions of years of wisdom into the ant. I could supply the greatest of rivers. I can crush the tallest of mountains. They all speak of me. Look at your own life look at your mom look at your dad look at the world look at everything it speaks of me right it was never meant to to be the satisfaction of your life in fact it was always meant to paint a small picture that connected to another small picture and when one blue met another blue met a brown met a yellow met a gold all of a sudden they began to form a mosaic and in the picture of the mosaic there stands the one the holy one of israel right in whom all things are found 
in whom the grace that we seek, the love that we seek, the affirmation that we seek, the, 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 the substance that we seek is actually found. And he endows the world with revelations. That means like, like expressions, like little invitations in every single thing to say, you're gonna learn a little bit about who I am through this little thing that I place in what's around you. God, I don't feel like I have purpose or meaning. Everything has purpose and meaning, right? But it only finds its true meaning when it's connected to me, its creator. Son, daughter, you have meaning. I, I made you to show a certain portion of who he is, right? Like, like he made you. Friend, do you recognize, like, I want you to stop. I, I want you to look at me and I want you to just think about the words that I'm saying and separate them from decades of Christian experience where you've heard the words over and over again, but, but you've rarely stopped to think, like, what does that mean? And, and you're standing and you're sitting, I'm standing, you're sitting in this room right now and I look at you and I say, say a few words to you, right? What is it? I, God made you. God made you. I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, uh, give you that kind of movie experience where I keep saying it and I want it to like connect with you more, right? The goodwill hunting type of thing. But I want you to really register what I'm saying. God made you. So every moment that you go, man, I feel like my, my life doesn't have any, God made you. Like he formed you. Like I hate when I do this, yeah. But God made you. He knew exactly the, the mistake you would make, right? Like, man, man, but I, you don't understand. Like I have problems with anger. I know, like, like some of that anger could probably be used for good in the hands of the father who made you. And you don't understand, like I'm mad emotional. Man, I hope that you use that emotion to cry out and to show the worthiness of God and passion as you worship him because God made you. You don't understand, like sometimes I'm, I'm real methodical and people are always like, man, I, you need to keep up. Well, God made you to see the details and to show how he himself made the millions of different parts of a caterpillar that now just turns into a butterfly. Well, no, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm always ahead and everybody's always like, slow down, you're too, you're too much, man. Like, you know, you need to slow down. Well, man, it seems like in the book of Mark, there is this succinct row of just immediately Jesus did this and immediately Jesus did that. And, and man, maybe, maybe God made you to show a bit of that, that desire to work and that passion that Jesus had as he walked on. Do you see what I'm saying right now? And all of a sudden, when we're connected to, to God, the things that didn't make sense before start to become the things that point to him now. Why? Because no longer am I trying to tell, no longer am I trying to climb the mountain of achievement for someone to tell me, you're a good worker. I can look at God and him say, I'm a good worker. And you show the world what it is to be like me. You're no longer climbing the mountain of achievement, hoping that one day someone will say, good job. But you, you now get to, get to turn to the heavenly father who says, I made you. I know you. I well done. I love you. You're no longer climbing the mountain of, of pleasure to say, I want to be satisfied, but you drink from the well that in John 4, Jesus said, never leaves you thirsty again. Because he doesn't change. What incredibly powerful ideas, right? That when we're trying to force these things like pleasure, uh, like achievement, and you name it, right? Any of the mountain highs that we're thinking about, when we try to force them to derive meaning and joy and satisfaction and peace, they actually become a burden. They become a pain. They become a bitter reminder that this world can't provide that. 
That's, that's why he literally talks about, man, I, I started giving myself to despair, right? And, and really the labor of my hand is like a pain. They begin to become a grief and a pain. Yet when God is given his proper place and these things are given their proper place, right? In that position, we're able to enjoy the good gifts of his hand and not only enjoy them, friend, you learn who you are in that moment. You learn who God made you to be, who, what he enjoys about you, and maybe some of the things you thought were curses during the course of your life, in that place actually begin to be revealed as blessings to you and others when you are able to take a step back and say, I don't need that mountain. I have the rock. Kohela continues from there. To close up the chapter, he says, for the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. In other words, those who please God, right, he will give wisdom to. Maybe the type of wisdom, right? So the one who pleases God, Maybe he'll give the wisdom to actually enjoy the gifts that he's giving them, right? And, and to the sinner, and unfortunately, they are the ones that gather and accumulate and enlarge their achievements, but, but they end up giving to the ones who please God. And so now, here at the end, we're at the end of the chapter, we're at the end of our time, I literally have a timer and I was flashing at him. I was like, you need to close this up, bro. Um, what are we left with? What are we left with here? Well, hopefully... Hopefully, right, you've gone from wanting to be the one on the mountaintop to wanting to be the one who pleases God, wanting to be the one who rests in God, who knows God. But, but hear me, it would be heartbreaking today if you walked out saying, okay, okay, I, I got a couple of tasks from church today. I know that I don't need to climb that mountain. I don't need to climb that mountain. I know that what I desire and what's going to meet my needs isn't on the top of that, and it's not in that mountain peak, but rather, I know that I need to go and be the one who pleases God. And so that's another mountain peak I need to climb, right? If those mountain peaks of, of really like, like achievement and pleasure aren't the mountain peaks, but uh, the mountain peak that I actually do get everything I want is the please God mountain peak, then I need to go ahead and buckle down the hatches, dust off my Bible, right? Get some knee pads because I'm going to pray like crazy, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to please God. It'd be heartbreaking if I sent you out like that today. Because let me tell you, friend, that would be another mountaintop that you would try to pursue, that you would never get up, and just like that, it would become a burden to your heart. Because the reality is, no matter how hard we try, if we're being honest with ourselves, if you're being honest with you, I'm being honest with me, and we're being honest with one another, right? If we're one of the two characters in verse 26, we may have instances where we're the wise person who pleases God. But man, when I read that, for what it's worth, I can't help but, but feel like I'm not the pleaser in, in 26, but I'm the gatherer. That I'm not the, I'm not the one who pleases God, but rather oftentimes I more feel like the sinner who gathers things up and somehow they just seem to be brought away from me. Who spends all my time getting to mountain pops, all my time trying to ascend as much as I can, all my time gathering things that I think are going to please me, only for them to feel like they're nowhere to be found when I actually need them. That's what my life actually feels like. And if you're you, and if you're being honest, that may be how life most often feels like to you. So what do we do with that? 
What do we do after all this good wisdom yet? And, I, and trust me, you've been sitting there going, yeah, I've heard a sermon like this before. You probably have heard the things that I've told you a million times in the course of your life. And yet when I get to the verse 26, to the last verse, it still seems like the person I relate to most is not the one who pleases God, but the one who gathers and still finds himself empty. What do I do but God? Friends, like one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible, but God, right? Being rich in mercy and love doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us to say, you're at the bottom. You think you've ascended, but you found yourself in the valley, but I'm going to give you another mountain, and that's the mountain you need to go up. Rather, enters the person of Jesus, right, who doesn't make pleasure his ultimate aim, but rather his ultimate goal is pleasing the Father. He doesn't make achievement his ultimate aim, but rather achieving the will of the Father. He comes from above the sun and beyond the mountain, yet he comes humbly and empties himself of all that understanding that though I would have everything and lose my soul what would it gain me but if I have nothing and have God I have everything he doesn't pressure created things and circumstances to be what he needs but he wakes up every morning and goes and pursues the father and he finds substance and when people challenge him he doesn't question who he is because he's intimately connected to God and when when the, the mountains of life begin to encroach upon him he finds rest in the shepherd and he doesn't find himself fleeting and making bad choices yet he takes the cross like the overindulgent. He takes the cross like the greedy. He takes the cross like the idolater. He takes the cross like the sinner so that the overindulgent, so that the greedy, so that the idolater, so that the sinner could now be the one who's what? Pleasing to God through him. And so through that person of Jesus, through that heavenly, that heavenly life raft to the drowning, empty, dissatisfied, purposeless, just hurting person comes the, and I'm going to allude to our worship, right? Comes the kiss of heaven. Comes the kiss of heaven that says, through me, through me, you will be pleasing to God. And as you find yourself in me, Right, as you become the branches that are grafted into this vine, I will endow you with the wisdom that you need. But God, man, I feel like I've been working this my whole life. Just keep coming to me. My spirit will lead you into truth. My spirit will guide you to exalting me. My spirit will convict you of the areas that are not beneficial to you, that are in fact sinful. Keep coming to me. Man, but God, I keep messing up. Man, my grace continues to overshadow your failures. Keep coming to me. And all of a sudden, the one who pleases God is not the one we look at from afar, but because of the work of Jesus, the one who pleases God is the one who simply submits their lives to that precious, gracious Savior. And God says, I'll give that person wisdom. I will invite that person out of strife, and I will let him find rest. And it reminds you of the words of Jesus when he says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden you've had trucking, trekking up the mountains has been sorrowful, right? But the masters that you've placed on yourself to derive meaning and purpose and satisfaction have been bitter, but come to me because my yoke, what I place on you, right, it brings life. Why? Because I'm a good master, unlike any other master you've had. Friend, today, if you're tired of running, right, if you're tired of that striving, 
the striving after heaven. Like I said, I'm not telling you work is bad. I hope you are working. Man, we get up here every single week and set this place up. I know y'all be sweating because I am. Like, I'm not saying work is bad. But if you're tired of striving after heaven, if you're tired of striving and saying, I think this will do it for me, and it just seemed to always be like a vapor that ends up leaving you empty, maybe more empty than you were when you started pursuing it, when you started going after it, friend, come to Jesus, right? Find more of him, right? Seek him to find more of him. Plug, plug into more, even as much as you can, into community. Plug as much as you can into this book. As much as you can, seek the Lord in prayer. And hear me, you guys have heard me say this in sermons before. It doesn't mean that there will never be troubles. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be like, man, I'm the most intimate with God that I've ever been. Like, I'm, my prayer life is incredible. You don't understand. Like, I spoke in tongues, right? Like, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the case every single time. We, we went through Gen, uh, Psalm 23, and, and there's a moment where you're talking about um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And there are times where you say, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and you were with me. There's times where you're intimate and times where it feels like you're less intimate. But, but man, this pursuit of God, right, is the marker of wisdom, right? This fearing of God that says, you are the one who, who seeks life for me. In you, I find life and wisdom. And this is the marker that invites us in uh, to the life that I, I think Kohelet sees, but he recognizes is hard to find because the, the calls of everything else can be so loud. And sometimes God is speaking in a whisper, but, but, it, but, but he assures us, man, if you can tap into this, right, man, it, it's powerful and it's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time today. Thank you, Father, that... Um, while we strive so much, and even today, today was not the cure-all for striving in this place. I know that, and I hope that we know that. While we strive so much, it is an incredible comfort, Father, that you did not, you did not look at us striving and just egg us on. You didn't try to remove roadblocks. You didn't try to say, okay, let me try to make the path easier for you. You didn't, you didn't try to say, let me lower the peak for you. But rather, you derobed the majesty of your origin, of your, of your right. And you entered into the mud of striving with us. And you put us on your shoulder. And like a good shepherd leading uh, an estranged sheep back to the flock, you, you let us mount your shoulders and you delivered us to the mountaintop of pleasing God for us. So that in you, we might find wisdom that helps us see the greatest things in life, the, most, the deepest things that I want, the things that I long for can only be found in this creator. And through the work of Jesus, Father, we now celebrate the fact that you welcome us. And so we celebrate you today, God. We love you. And we ask that you would help us to gain from these words, uh, not just wisdom, but you would help us gain worship. And that you would lead us to seeing the truth of what you've done for us, even in the midst of our striving. Uh, and that you would stir worship and passion for you. Uh, that, that begins to, to move our attention from the mountaintop of achievement, uh, of pleasure, and of everything else and begins to set our attention and passion on the embrace of your arms that in which we find rest. 
And so I love you. I thank you. We place our lives and, and, and our church and our community in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 